pray, and then we're going to get after it. Lord, thank you for all the amazing things you've done up to this point. We're just excited about you, and we're so grateful that we can call you Daddy because of what Jesus did for us. And so we do. We say Happy Father's Day to you, and we open our hearts to what you want to do, how you want to encourage, challenge, or convict us, Lord. We open our hearts to receive from you today, and we're so excited about you and what you're doing, not only in our lives, but through our lives. And we choose to say yes to you, Father, and all that you want to do in us and through us. And we give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want to turn to Judges chapter 6, I'm going to be reading out of the NLT. New Living Translation version. But before I get to that, I'd like to start out by uh, commemorating and remembering and thanking the men who have influenced me over the years. Guys, men that have been involved in my life way back when I first came into NCF. You know, some of you guys were even here before me. Uh, Some of you came shortly after And some of you might have come even more recently, but you've definitely had an impact in my life, and I want to thank you for that. And I'm talking to my brothers that are 60, 70, and 80, in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. You know, I was thinking about the other day that those of you who are in your 60s, 70s, and 80s, back when you knew me, back when I was in college, you were in your 30s and your 40s and 50s. And I was just thinking how funny and how cool that is. I mean, Pastor Dale, back in his... 40s and early 50s. Um, But, you know, first of all, my dad, I want to thank him, who's been a very good father. Even though my parents were divorced, their marriage didn't last, but my dad was a a very good father. And I also want to thank Don Averitt. He's the guy guy that led me to the Lord back when I was 18. Dale Barnes, Steve Irby, Ken Hall, Sam Gunner, Stan Tedrow, Jim Drum, Gordon Williams, Gary Clarkson. J.D. Spillman, Arthur Webb, Robert Turner, Mike Metcalf, John Chambers, Aaron Means, Gary Strickland, Dale Alexander, Charlie Schultz, Nathan Brubaker, Jim Kleckler, Warren Shea, Marty Yunt, and Wayne Elliott. Thank you very much. I was actually talking about the sound effects, not the names that I just, just read. But, you know, these men, and they've, they've all influenced me in, in different ways. But through their example, you know, they were the ones that led me to a relationship with Jesus and taught me how to have a real and close relationship with the Father. They modeled to me the importance and priority of spending time with Him on a regular basis. They gave me opportunities to use my gifts to serve our church family as a youth pastor and now as senior pastor. You know, some of the men in this church entrusted their kids to me. Now, that's dangerous. And I appreciate that because I was young back then when I was a youth pastor. I was, Lisa and I were, I think I was 21 when I started. Isn't that scary? 21 years old. And, uh, but having the opportunity to serve uh, your kids and you entrusting them to me, I really appreciate that because I was able to learn and grow a lot of those, in a lot of those uh, opportunities. You guys gave me opportunities to use my gifts 
to serve and even now a senior pastor. And as a young elder, I learned what it means to make decisions with financial integrity. I remember when I was, when I first became an elder, I was, I was older than 21, so you don't have to be that afraid, but, but many years ago, and I remember it, uh, just being around Sam Gunner and Ken Hall and Dale and, and Steve Irby and making decisions because we make financial decisions. But what stuck out to me and what, what shaped me is their decisions made in integrity, financial integrity. And I remember decisions that even cost the church more money because it was a gray area that wasn't illegal, but it was kind of in the gray area and they wanted to stay as far as they away, as far away as they could from that gray area. So they said, okay, we're going to pay this extra money just to stay in the clear. And many, many decisions were made that way. And that shaped me because I was young, I was very impressionable, and I learned from those examples. I'm thinking, man, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. And I remember years ago, <clears throat> I bought a truck from a guy, and I think it was in Tulsa somewhere. And I can't remember if, uh, were you with me? Didn't you come with me when we bought that black truck? Were you there? Me, you, Benjamin, and Julia, maybe? And we bought this truck from this guy, and I paid $5,000 for it. And uh, we were all in the living room, and he was signing over the, the title. And he asked me, he said, how much do you want me to put down? Now, I purchased the vehicle for 5000 But he asked me, he said, how much do you want me to put down on the title that, that you're buying it for? I said, what do you mean? He says, well, what? what price would you like me to write in here? I said, well, didn't I pay you 5000 He said, yeah, but what would you like me to write? I said, 5000 And he said, well, he said, okay, well, because I didn't know this. I was naive. Many people, well, they may purchase the vehicle for a certain price, but they write in a lower price so they can save on taxes. And that's what he was referring to, and I realized, oh, that's what he means. I said, yeah, 5000 And he's like, he's kind of looking at me like I was crazy. And I said, well, you know, that's what, that's what I paid for it. I said, and I actually love my sleep at night, so I love to be able to lay down with a clear conscience and just do things the right way because that's what I learned from these men that have influenced me over the years. And this guy about came out of his chair and did a jig. He was so impressed and, and freaking out. You remember that, Lisa? And he said, because he found out I was a pastor because I, I, I was very beginning of my being a pastor almost seven years ago. And he said, what church do you pastor? And I told him, he said, man, if I lived in Stillwater, I'd definitely go to your church. And this guy was freaking out over just seeing integrity. And I guess we don't realize how big of a deal integrity is until you don't see it. If you have people handling your finances, your money without integrity, it's going to be a big deal. But I just want to say I appreciate the brothers that I got to work with and watch them do integrous things with finances. And therefore, that's become part of our culture. It's become part of us. And then, uh, oh, less than a year ago, I can't remember exactly when it happened, I got a text from my son. And Benjamin and Julia were in that living room with us, so they saw the whole thing and they figured out what was going on and everything. And so because of the things I've learned, I remember a few, several months ago, I got a text from Benjamin's teacher. And she said, I just wanted to let you know that Benjamin <clears throat> found $12 on the floor. There was a, a rolled up wad of bills he found on the floor and he turned it into the teacher. And she said, I just wanted you to know that your son did that. 
And I never said to him, now, son, if you find money that doesn't belong to you, you need to turn it in. He just did that. Money, integrity. And so, brothers, I want to say thank you for that example that you've been and continue to be. And you know what? It makes me sad because I get so used to what we have here that when I'm other, in other situations and I hear the challenges they have, I'm like, dang, glad we don't got that going on around here. You know, and not in a, not in a boastful way, but a very grateful, a grateful way. I also learned practical and effective ways to train up my kids so that other people could enjoy them and how to lead them in the way that they should go. I got to see what it looks like to be committed to your wife through thick and thin, good and bad, sickness and in health. I got to see what it looks like to love and cherish your wife even after being married 40 and 50 years. And I saw that it's still cool to hold your hands with your wife even after being married that long. I'm not going to mention Wayne's name. You know, I remember when we were on a, on a trip years ago. We were in Chiapas. And um, I don't know how long have you guys been married? A hundred years? Give it, no, I'm just kidding. Have you guys celebrated your, what anniversary recently? 44. 44 years, yes. <clears throat> and see, being around, I've been around the L.A.s for a long time. And they're always holding hands. They're always hugging each other. And I was like, see, when I grow up, I want to be just like that. I want to be just like that. But I appreciate that because I, I, I watch and I, I, I mean, I watch and I observe and I absorb. I say, I want that. And that's what I've been able to do with you guys that have been in my life for this long. You've shown me what strong men, you show me that strong men worship Jesus passionately. And some of my older brothers have shown me that when I get older, my passion and fire for Jesus does not have to slow down or diminish in any way just because, I get, just because I get older or even if I face serious health challenges. And I recognize that I am, here, I am where I am and who I am today greatly because of the godly example and influence of these men who have been in front of me and around me for a very long time. And many of you are still around being that strong, powerful example and influence for me. I can only imagine how many young men that you guys have influenced over the years and still continue to do so. Some of you have your own sons and daughters, grandsons and granddaughters that look up to you and that are still learning from you and that greatly admire you. And many of you have spiritual sons and daughters whom you've also invested in, encouraged, supported, affirmed, and led. Your commitment has not, not gone unrecognized and unnoticed by me and many others and definitely not by the Lord, because of your commitment and loyalty to Jesus, which wasn't perfect, but steady. When you stand before him one day, you will receive those words that we all long to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And I believe that you're going to be shocked and surprised to tears when all of your rewards are rolled out, because as you won't understand why so much because you won't understand why so much, because you'll think, I don't remember doing that much to deserve all this. Then the Father will explain that many of the rewards you will receive is not only from what you've done directly, but also what you've done through other people because of your direct influence, encouragement, and example. So my brothers, I want to say thank you for the encouragement that you've been to me over these, all these years. And now to my younger brothers, it's our turn. It's our turn to be the example. I mean, we have for many years. So it's not like you're starting today. I recognize that. 
but I just want to encourage you to continue to keep moving forward, that we don't realize, you know, a lot of, a lot of what's done, you know, like I think of Gordon, and I think of um, Gordon Williams, I think of Jim Drum. They're very servant-oriented men, very strong, and very strong men too. I mean, not strong just spiritually, but physically very powerful men. But just in the example of what it looks like to serve relentlessly, to serve the body of Christ, even when no one's watching. But I want to say that I was watching. I've seen you guys for years and years and years, and it even influenced me, and I thought, you know what? I want to do stuff too when nobody's watching. And so because of their example, encouraging me to serve. You know, I remember Marty. <laughs> if you're going to work with him, um, uh, he had a little job. He said, hey, you want to help me with this job? And I got to help him with this job. And, and I literally almost cried. The only reason why I didn't cry, because I don't want to see him, I don't want him to see me crying. But we were doing this job, and it was digging up these, these tree, these, root, these uh, bushes that were in this place, and they'd been there for however long. I'd never done that before. And I would never do it again. But... <laughs> <clears throat> but Marty was showing me how to do it. You know, you have to dig the roots. You have to go way down and dig. And it's, those of you guys who have done this, you know what I'm talking about. I'd never done that before. And yes, I had calluses for days and days. I cried. But anyway, he showed me how to do it. And he, he just, boom, just like that. Oh, yeah, I can do that. And he did it in a number of moments, a few moments, number of seconds. I don't know how, but it was very quickly. <laughs> he said, okay, you go and do those and I'll do these. And I'm over here working and working and working on this one bush. And he'd done a number of them. And I'm like, um, can you come show me how to do that again? But, and this was just a, this wasn't even, this was just a couple of years ago. But this man, how old are you, Marty? Dang. Now I really feel bad. I really want to cry. <laughs> Oh, man. <clears throat> but anyway, excuse me. It's that kind of example that, I mean, I learned how to dig up bushes. I'll never use that skill again, but I learned. But it was just so, no, I'm not doing that again. But it's just examples like that. It's examples like that, that strong men can love Jesus passionately. Strong men can love and be committed to their wives and their children and their church in their community, and not waver. And because of that example, that's what I'm becoming. And anyway, I want to I share three character traits today of God's mighty heroes, of powerful, godly, and very influential men. Because, brothers, we do make a difference. We make more of a difference than we even realize, and that even society would want to claim that we make. You know, because of the imbalances over the past of... of people being abused and neglecting everything, we kind of swing from one end to the other and, and we want to minimize the significance of men. But God doesn't do that. He wants you and I to realize that we are important. And you know, um, I didn't look up the statistics because I don't want to bore you with stats. But if you look up statistics on social ills like guys going to prison or dropouts or suicide rate and all that kind of stuff, you'll see all of it or the majority of it attached to fatherlessness. Men being out of their lives. What I'd like to look up, and this is what I forgot to look up, is the statistics on the celebration of people who have succeeded that had fathers, had men in their lives. 
whether they were uh, biological fathers or whether they were spiritual fathers. You know, my, my natural dad, my, my biological dad, had a very strong influence in me. I love him dearly. I respect him. He's a man of integrity, and I love him. But Pastor Dale, who has no biological children, I know there's men in this room that would say, I'm one of his. And Pastor Dale has probably had more influence on my life than any other man on this planet. And so I just want to say, if you don't have kids, that does not disqualify you. Kaylin shared wonderfully on that last week about being spiritual parents. And so, brothers, I want to encourage you that we do make a difference. We make a powerful difference. And only when you stand before him, when you've been faithful and you've poured yourself into people and you've served and you've, you've led by example, when you stand before the Lord, you're going to be amazed at all the rewards that are going to come to your account because of the people doing other things all over the world, but they were influenced by you. So the first characteristic, let's turn to uh, Judges chapter 6. Talk about Gideon a little bit. Starting with verse 12. Now we know that in the book of Judges, you see that the Israelites went up and down. They were good. And then when God saved them, then there was peace. They were bad for a while. Then judgment came on them. And then they cried out to God. And then they were good again. And they just, just patterned up and down, up and down. And so they had been, there was 40 years of peace. And then they started worshiping idols again. And then God let the enemies begin to judge them. And so for seven years, they were under the hand of the Midianites. And things were going very, very bad for them. And in verse 12, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, Mighty hero. Now, Gideon was hiding. He was trying to make him some food. And every time they would grow food, the, the bad guys would come and wipe out their food and take it from him. So he was hiding, threshing his wheat, trying to make some, some food. So he was hiding. And the Lord says, mighty hero. Kind of a contradiction in it. Mighty hero, and the, Lord's, the Lord is with you. Sir Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this stuff happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianite. To Midian, yeah, those people. Verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And so then... They continue to have this exchange. But the interesting thing is, is God said, Gideon, this is who you are. You are a mighty hero. And Gideon said, no, I'm not. Don't you recognize me? Don't you recognize that my clan's the least and I'm the least? I'm the youngest in my father's household. Don't you realize that, Lord? Did you forget all that? I guess he was expecting the Lord to say, oh, sorry, I didn't know all that. Never mind. I'll go find somebody else. But that's not what he said. And then so Gideon said, okay, if this is you, then, then do this for me. And then basically he went and made a meal and wanted him to accept his, his meal. And the Lord did. Then he vanished, did all that. And then Gideon's like, oh my goodness, I saw the Lord, I'm going to die. Because they knew back in, the, back in the day that if you saw the Lord face to face, you were going to die. The Lord said, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. I didn't come call you a hero and tell you to do something now just to turn around and kill you. So anyway, so then Gideon begins to... Um, well, he gave Gideon an assignment. Verse 25. 
In verse 25, it says, That night the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary. Lay in the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the, the wood of the Asherah pole to cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and the Asherah pole had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, Who did this? And after asking around and making careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. But Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him, Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. From then on, Gideon was called Jerubbaal, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. Now here's something I find interesting that I never noticed before. Baal, uh, excuse me, not Baal. <laughs> Let's not talk about Baal. Um, Gideon was telling God, well, our clan is the weakest and I'm the youngest in our family. That was obviously in his eyes because obviously his dad had influence. Now, his dad had the town idol. Let me think about it. His dad had the town idol. And God told um, Gideon to go take it down. And so he took it down. He did it at night because he was afraid. But the interesting thing I find is that he took it down. Of course, he was discovered. And because he was, now obviously his dad, they were, they were Baal worshipers. That's why they were in trouble. They were worshiping idols. They had turned from the Lord and were worshiping these, these stones and everything. And, and Gideon was willing to take it down, to destroy it. And then his father, the people were saying, okay, now it's time for you to die because you killed, I mean, you destroyed our, our thing. And his father had a turn of heart because he said, first of all, whoever is going to defend Baal will be killed tomorrow. And he said, and if Baal is a true God, let him defend himself. So obviously his father's heart turned around because he even saved his son. But it's interesting because we see that Gideon is beginning to believe who the Lord said he was. He says, you are a mighty hero. And I didn't realize how significant. I was thinking that taking down the altar of Baal was an insignificant thing, but that was a big thing because that was the thing that was in their city. It was a stronghold that people were worshiping. And so Gideon took it down and it turned his father's heart. When we choose to believe men, men, comma, when we choose to believe who the Father says we are, it will impact people around you. We have no idea the, the, how far our influence will go when we obey him. So the first characteristic we need to have and walk in is be full of faith. I'm not talking about faith in God. I'm talking about faith in who he says you are. When God said to Gideon, mighty man of faith or mighty hero, see, that's what he's saying to you because see, you have the same Holy Spirit inside of you that raised Jesus from the dead. Gideon didn't have that, but he still called him. He says, I am with you. Is the Lord with us all the time? So if he's with us, he's calling you mighty hero. Now go in the strength that I'm calling you. 
And then we see Gideon follow through with, with the whole thing, and they ended up wiping out the Midianites, all those several thousand people that they wiped out with only 300 men. And so we see that Gideon fulfilled. He was told the word. He began to walk in it, and he began to fulfill it. And then the salvation of, his whole, of the whole tribe of Israel happened because this man chose to obey the Lord. So we have to be men full of faith, meaning we have to believe who God says we are. That means you need to stop making the confessions of calling yourself names that God would not agree with. You know, when you make a mistake and you call yourself a name, do you know who you're quoting? The accuser of the brethren. You're quoting him and lining up and partnering with him. The Antichrist, the one who's against Christ. So think about that. I don't have permission... If I make a mistake, when I make a mistake, I'm not, I don't have permission to call myself names that do not agree with what the Father says about me. So you can call yourself any name as long as the Father agrees with it. Amen? Let yours and my declaration begin to agree with who he says I am, who he says you are. Number two, <clears throat> God wants us to be courageous. In a familiar story that uh, many of us are familiar with, the three Hebrew children, see, turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 3. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 90 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So this, so this king, Nebuchadnezzar, makes this, uh, this statue 90 feet tall and he says, all right, I want everybody to worship this statue of me. He says, when you hear the music playing, when you hear the flutes, the clarinets, all that kind of stuff, bow down and worship me. Now, three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had been elevated by the king to, to be leaders in different provinces, they honored and respected the king, but they were not going to worship him because they only worshiped Yahweh. They only worshiped the one true God. And so when the music played, everybody bowed down except these three guys. And then it says these, these guys from Babylon who were probably jealous of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they were overlooked in the promotion. They said, hey, yo, king, you know those three dudes that you promoted? Do you realize that they're dissing you? They're not honoring you? They're not bowing down when the music's played? You realize that? Just in case you didn't know. I thought you wanted to know. You know, you ever heard of tattletales? And so they make sure the king knows that these guys are not bowing down. And it said... That Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and threw a fit. I wonder what it looks like for a king to throw a fit. But he got so angry, and it said his face got distorted and everything. That would have been a pretty, well, never mind. But he got so upset, he said, bring them, bring them here. He had the fire turned up seven times hotter. And he said, look, guys, obviously you did not hear what I said. We're going to play the music, and then you're going to bow down and worship my statue. And I think it's interesting because one of them, whichever the spoke, spokesperson of them said, O king. So they're speaking with respect. They're standing in reverence to the king. They said, O king, we're not going to do that. We, we honor you as the king, but we're not going to worship you because we only worship one. And he will deliver us from this fire that you're going to throw us into. And then they said, even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. And, of course, he threw another fit, had him thrown in the fire. And we know the results that 
that a son of God was in the fire with them. They didn't burn. He said, whoa, what's going on? Had them come out. Had them come out and then begin to, to discourse with them. And he said, I find this interesting, at the end, verse 24, but as suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his ad- advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god or a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close to the door. He called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to come out. So they came out. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Isn't that interesting? He went from worship me to all of a sudden praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race, nation, language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other god who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted them to even higher positions in the providence of Babylon. Because they were willing to be courageous and stand, many people became acquainted with the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When we're willing to take a stand, it opens the opportunity for many people to know our Jesus. It's like, how could they be willing to take a stand? I mean, they're sitting there looking at that fire. They're looking at the furnace. I'm sure they can feel the heat from where they're standing, and they realize that they're about to be thrown in there. They're confident that their God will deliver them, but if he doesn't, they're saying, we'll still, we'll still be willing to die. How is it they were able to be that courageous? I believe it's because they're eternal, because they had an eternal perspective. Their relationship with the God of the universe was just as real as the flames that they were about to face. See, God was not just a theory It wasn't theoretical. It wasn't just a a religious thing. They truly had a relationship with the king of the universe. And if it meant dying, so be it. When we have an eternal perspective, when Jesus is just as real to us as the the trial or the the persecution that we're about to face, then we're willing to stand. We're willing to make the the sacrifices. We're willing to make the decisions that we're going to make that may hurt us short term but will count long-term. And so this means, brothers, that we have to have a real, living, viable relationship with Jesus. You know, I shared recently, well, I shared over time uh, an email that I got, and, and, you know, ISIS was coming into the towns, and what they were doing is they were targeting the, the children, not the parents, but the children, and they were telling the kids that either deny Jesus or they're going to kill him. And in that town, none of the kids denied Jesus. Therefore, they were all killed. And it's like, that's so tragic from our perspective. I mean, that's horrible. But eternally, obviously, those kids had such a relationship with Jesus that they said, go ahead. I mean, kids, that's the kind of faith I want to have. That's the kind of relationship I want to have, that that knife or that bullet or that fire is no more real than Jesus. Amen?
So he wants us to be men full of faith in who God says we are and courageous. And finally, talk about Joseph a little bit. Genesis 39. I'm just going to go ahead and give you the short version. Basically, many of you guys know the story of Joseph, called the man of many colors. Man of, had a coat of many colors, not man of many colors. That's another story, I guess. Coat of many colors. He was the youngest amongst his brothers. Uh, he had all these half-brothers and everything that were jealous of him because Joseph made sure that they saw his new coat. And, and his father, he was definitely a favorite because he was the son of his father's favorite wife. And so... Unfortunately, the father showed him favor, and it caused tension between him and his brothers. Brothers were jealous. They were mad. And, of course, Joseph didn't help matters any when he would show off his new stuff and everything. And then he had dreams from the Lord showing that his brothers were going to serve him. They were going to bow down. And then he had another dream, and it showed that not only his brothers, but his mom and dad were going to bow down to him someday. Now, we all know reading the story, we know that those dreams were from God. But at the time, the brothers didn't, they just thought he was crazy. Anyway, they were going to kill him, but they decided to go ahead and sell him into slavery. So he got sold into slavery, and he got bought by the captain of the guard, Potiphar. And when he went to his house, everything Joseph did was blessed. He said God was with him, and everything he touched was blessed. So Potiphar kept just um, promoting him, and he was, there was no one in Potiphar's house more powerful than Joseph other than Potiphar. Because everything Joseph did prospered. Well, then we know the story that Potiphar's wife tried to hit on him, and then he refused. She accused him of attempting rape or whatever. So the, her husband had him thrown in a political prison, which I kind of think, has anybody seen that movie? It's old. It's called Joseph. Anybody seen that? I think it's by, I can't remember who it's by, but... Um, one of my favorite movies, and if you see that, I think it's a very accurate biblical account. Now, of course, they have to read into the lines and fill in some of the details, but to me, I think it's, it's pretty accurate. And I think it's interesting because one thing it shows in the movie that Potiphar really loves Joseph, and when he finds out about what happened when his wife accuses him, it's like in the movie, he's like, wife, I know you. <laughs> I know how you are. And so he he really believed Joseph. He listened to Joseph's story. He really believed Joseph why he wouldn't do such a thing. But he couldn't, he had, he couldn't dishonor his wife. So when the movie shows, that's why he put him in prison instead of having him killed. Because I'm thinking in real life, man, you mess with this woman, you're dead. And so I think it's a very good play out of what I think happened was um, Potiphar probably knew Joseph was innocent, but he put him in prison instead of killed him. So anyway, so Joseph's in prison nonetheless. And he still excels. Everything he does turns to gold. He serves. He blesses. He does everything he can to make the lives of the men in the prison better. And here's what I find interesting. And here's the third characteristic is being opportunistic. Joseph was taken from his family, sold into slavery, and then he was thrown into prison for something he didn't do. But he never got bitter. He never turned. His circumstances did not cause him to turn away his heart from God. Even though he had some character issues, character flaws, some pride and that kind of thing, but the one thing that I take away is that he never got bitter at God because of his circumstances. As a matter of fact, the circumstances that he found himself in, he used them 
to glorify God and serve people. So here's how we have an opportunity to influence people around us. You find yourself in, in hard circumstances or you find yourself maybe in a job that you're tired of. It's like, man, I'm sick of this job. And I don't see any way out of it. Well, maybe there is a way out. <clears throat> maybe there are some steps you can do, receive wisdom to get out of that circumstance. But until then, partner with God and go on adventures with Him at work. In other words, God, how can I... How can you and I do kingdom things in my job? And I believe if you invite Holy Spirit and ask Him seriously, not only will you turn your heart around, will you become more excited, but you'll begin to see things happen in your job and your workplace that you've never seen before. You begin to be the example that people need of what it looks like to have a real relationship with Jesus. So the Father is wanting us, he's calling us and encouraging us to be faithful, to be men full of faith, believing who he says we are, to be courageous men, and to be very opportunistic. Sometimes being courageous brothers means having that conversation with your son that you need to have. You know, when my boys were growing up, and I remember Trey was coming along, and it came to... Him being a preteen, and it's like, uh-oh, time's, the, the clock's ticking. It's going to be a matter of time when Lisa's going to need to have some talks with him. But she quite didn't agree with that. And so we had to have the talks and everything, and I was terrified. I don't know why we become afraid or intimidated, but I, I was. But I learned, I found some resources. can't remember who I learned them from. I'm sure I learned it from one of my older brothers, but I found a resource called Every Man's Battle. And it, there's a book called Preparing Your Son for Every Man's Battle. And I began to walk with my sons, all five of them, through that book. And it made it easier to talk about these things. And then it got to where we can freely talk about things that I used to be intimidated and because we were able to have those talks and because I was a dad that they can come to anytime they needed to talk about the hard things, I think that caused them to divert many disasters. I believe it, it gave them the courage to go down a certain path and not make all the mistakes that they could have made otherwise. So brothers, our boys, particularly our daughters too, they need us. And you know why it's important for you to believe? I was thinking about this the other day, and I know the Holy Spirit encouraged me this way. Do you know why, men, it is so important for us to believe who he says we are? Because if we don't, then how can we encourage our children in who they are without sounding hollow? Because if I'm telling my son, son, you're better than this, you're this and you're all that, and I'm trying to talk that to him, and I'm not believing who he says I am, then it's just empty words. And they'll be able to pick up on that. They'll just know it's just talk. So for my sons to walk in who they are, it's very important for me to understand who I am so I can encourage them, my sons and my daughter. So men, if you need to have that talk or those talks, let's be courageous. And if you need ideas, there, there's, there's resources, there's things out there to help us do what we need to do. Being opportunistic may mean doing that idea that the Lord put on your heart and leading your family in something. But you've been intimidated. It's like, I can't do this because I'm the least in my family or I'm, I'm the least spiritual. My wife is more spiritual than I am. 
And the Lord's saying, no, remember, you're my mighty hero. I've called you, and I've equipped you to do what I've called you to do. <clears throat> Would you stand with me, brothers? I'm going to close in prayer. No, just brothers. I was intentional when I said brothers. You know, if the Lord were to show us right now how far your influence already goes, I think you'd be surprised. But he's not showing us that right now. He might show you if you ask him. But I just want to say your influence is there and is very effective and very powerful. And I want to encourage you to keep the course, keep loving and pursuing your wife, keep spending time with your kids, keep investing in your children. And keep looking for other children who need men in their lives and invest and encourage them. In other words, keep doing what you're doing. You and I have made mistakes. I've shared the battles that I've had back in 2001, 2001, 2001 with the pornography issues and everything. That could have derailed me. I could have let that be my character and say, okay, this is who I am, so I can't do anything else. But I refuse to allow that to happen. And you're doing the same thing. You're saying, my mistakes are not my identity. Who he says I am, that's who my identity, that's what my identity is. And I just want to remind you guys of how important you are, not only to your families, but to this church and to this community. Extremely important. Thus saith the Lord. You are very important. And I believe if you were to stand before him right now, he'd say, well done. But since you're not standing before him yet, there's more we get to do. There's more people we get to influence. There's more lives we get to impact. And so he's calling you his mighty heroes. He wants you to be full of courage. And he wants you to be opportunistic in partnering with him. And so, Father, I just thank you for your grace that you're releasing over my brothers right now, over all of us. We can continue to run the path, run the race effectively. And we're going to finish strong. Some of us are coming to the finish line sooner than others. But all of us are going to finish strong because we are going to make it a habit of grabbing hold of the grace that you've made available. And I thank you, Father. And Lord, I just pray that you would affirm these sons of yours in a practical, tangible way this week, that they would feel affirmed by you. They would be reminded of how you see them sometime this week. I speak blessings over them and their family. I thank you for healing their bodies. I thank you for setting us free from bondage. And we just thank you, Father, that you are good all the time. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can everybody else can stand?
as well. That includes you, Lisa. <coughs> well, you guys have a wonderful rest of your Father's Day. If that means eat barbecue or steak or whatever that means. Guys, no cutting grass. Not today. Not today. But you guys have a great week and just go in the blessing of the Lord. <laughs>